Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. This week, we are talking about the organ and how... Oh, hello. Jesse. Jesse. Yes. yes. Guess what? What? Finally, it happened. Do you know what happened? What happened? Somebody sent me pie crust. What? To the pie crust desperation fund. Really? When? Yes. Today. I ate the whole thing already. What? <laughs> it came <laughs> this morning, and it's all gone. You didn't save any for me? I'm I, desperate for pie I, crust. I gave you a little bit. But anyway... I don't want to. I don't know if these people gave permission to use their names, so I'll just say Philip and Rudiger. Oh, well, Rudiger. Yeah, Philip and Megan from somewhere near Atlanta sent a really nice note and an actual pie crust, which got here all in one piece. It was packed. It was shipped with the nicest little note. So, Philip and Megan, thanks for the pie crust. I ate the whole thing. Did you make Kevin taste it first in case there was dangerous? Contents in it. Well, they wrote, P.S. Don't be afraid of the crust. There's no fluoride. Of course, oh. <laughs> it was the arsenic that I was worried about. Oh, right. But I seem to have <laughs> no serious health effects. Well, yet. the point is, we have we now have crust for our desperation fund. Right. There's no more crust, however. So the desperation fund is empty again. All right. Well, yeah, you can send pipe crust our way. And this week, Dennis, we're talking about organ. Pipe organ. Uh, John the 23rd talking about the pipe. All right. Excellent. So without further ado, episode seven of season two of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. I was, I was at... Pope John Paul the the twenty third. John Paul the twenty third. No, John Paul. John the twenty third. Come on. Okay. The Are reason you were, I, did you hit record yet? The, yeah. The reason I was confused because it was also the canonization of John Paul the second. Okay. Oh, it was. Right. I just merged them together. It was like a portmanteau of sorts. All right. I was at the canonization of Saints John Paul the second and John the twenty third. Okay. And uh, it was pretty awesome. I was able, um, I was very fortunate. I, I knew somebody at CNA, Catholic News Agency, and they got me a media pass and a friend of mine. And we got to witness the whole canonization mass from the Baraccio, which is the area on top of all of those col- uh, columns, columns that everybody. Yes. You were on top of that? On top uh-huh. of it, you know where the you know like you see the statues on yeah. top of the columns. Mm-hmm. There's an area on on either side of the the, the piazza where you can stand on top of mm. that. So we were up there and we were able to get some great photos and everything like that. But it was a really great experience. And Dennis, the reason why we're talking about this is why. Well, you wrote an article about organs and about John the Twenty Third's. Organ donation program? No. <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. Uh, <laughs> when John 23rd was just about to open Vatican II, it was actually September 26, 1962, he gave an allocution at the blessing of the new pipe organ. Blessing. He, oh, the blessing, yeah. Oh, yeah, we just talked The new pipe blessing. organ in St. Peter's Basilica. So, you know, they had pipe organs in St. Peter's, but they kind of dressed it up, spiffed it up, increased it. So they wanted to have this great instrument ready to go for all the ceremonies in St. Peter's in uh, Vatican II. And it's actually a whole, there are a whole bunch of things that John the 23rd wrote that most people don't pay attention to. So I just stumbled on this accidentally, this little allocution, which is a kind of letter that he gives directly to bishops or cardinals. Mike, there's so many 
freaking names for like things that people write. There the are, back. and they have different there's levels the moto, of authority. The and moto proprio, motu proprio. There are chirographs. chirographs there are yeah. dogmatic constitutions, are apostolic, apostolic constitutions, yeah. encyclicals, apostolic exhortations. What is a Catholic guy to do when he wants? You just to look at the list and see what it is. All right, let's so. learn about these allocutions. <laughs> yes, allocutions. <laughs> Allocution is right. So he just was basically saying nice things at the dedication of the organ. Um, and then I stumbled on this, and I thought, why would that be worthy of looking at? And I realized there's a lot of content that he said kind of redefine, re-shift uh, around my notion of what a pipe organ is about. Which was pretty vast in of itself, right? Not Actually, it wasn't. Uh, I had some sense of it, oh, but okay. very, not very much. But I mean, if you think most people say, oh, pipe organ in the church, we should have one because... Well, it's Because we just should. It's the best instrument, and it's king of instruments and everybody likes it the most it's, 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 it's the traditional you, instrument it's traditional instrument yeah and then it's if you splendor get, to god it's splendor. obviously the the best instrument it's like everybody's it's always like thought a, that it's right? like a vocal cord or something like that i don't know i'm trying to smell, sound smart here <laughs> well not don't even get to that level yet but oh. you know organs have lots and lots of pipes some of them are big and they have these deep rumbling notes it actually makes the building shake one of our students in the summer session at the liturgical institute we used to open up that pipe organ in our chapel and you could feel your chest vibrate from those. Did big, he hit the pipes. Did he hit the brown note? Is that a thing? Did you guys do that? I think it is a thing, but I think he tried to avoid that. Okay, good. Whatever that is. Good. Um, and but then there are these little gentle ones, like wooden sounding ones, and they're really high pitched ones that sound like angels. And so an organ can express this big range of musical um, moods: sweet, mm -hmm. reedy, uh, shake the building, very delicate. All these things at the same time. The, the pipes are said to be voiced; they have different voices. They do all those things. So, one of the traditional things that you see in a lot of the um, documents of the church is it adds splendor, and beauty, and, and exaltation. It's kind of big, loud, splendid thing, and that's kind of what most of these documents talk about. But what you found is, you know, apart from that. I mean, that's a pretty impressive statement to lay out there about the importance of the pipe organ, right? So you, you, what you found in your article is you expected when you'd go back and look at the documents, there'd be this this rich body of writing about, you know, that, that would explain all that. But in point of fact, there really was very little in the tradition of the church until you came to uh, this blessing of the organ, where he really lays out the, the, the theology underlying the, that statement about the the organ being preferred because it adds splendor and et cetera. Right. He's not really comparing it to guitars or banjos or something. He's just talking about what it is good for. But if you read a lot of the documents that came up to that time about music, they're really interested in the voice. They want people to sing. They want them to sing chant. They want to sing the words. They don't want the organ to drown it out. So they kind of downplay the organ that the organ may accompany chant. And, but most of the time they don't even say anything at all about the organ, which was surprising. And then he comes along and gives these, um, kind of categories of things that the organ is. So the first one, adds splendor and majesty, uh, majesty to, um, to worship. Mm, I guess majesty. Majesty, yeah, it's it like, like strategery. Didn't, like strategi didn't he write mater et majesty? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, is that a joke? I it is well. a joke. Come on, Jesse. I have mater to et magistra? You don't know that one? Oh my gosh, no. I'm, a, I'm like a Latin wow, idiot. That's a pretty rarefied joke. Chris. What is, <laughs> well, I guess our listeners will You know. got sorry. it, didn't you, Dennis? No, sorry, I didn't. Uh, oh. But, Anyway, <laughs> but that only speaks of my ignorance, not your, not or your Chris's ignorance. How about that? Two out of three people in the room don't know he what he's talking. Actually about. Actually, ignorant of my ignorance, which is why he tried Ooh. to make the joke. Oh, all right, hey, 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 we're talking yes. about pipe organ here. So what he he adds these other categories of things, and one of them he says is that it um, 
raises the feelings. Uh, it becomes the spokesman of the feelings of everybody in the church in their noblest and holiest flights, and it makes it easier for the mystical movements of the event to penetrate deeply into the soul. That's pretty deep. Yeah. The mystical movements. Well, what's a mystical movement? It's some um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Was, there, was that a joke about being deep? I missed no, that one too. Oh. No, no, no. I'm, no, I'm saying it is deep. And I, and I think... Uh, you, you, Dennis, talk a lot about uh, what's actually happening during the Mass, and you have angels up there, you know, singing with us, and that kind of movement is what I'm thinking about when I hear that. Moving into the mystery is the whole point of it. Uh, mystagogy is going deeper into the mystery. Um, mystical theology, the mystical way, is, is how to get ever deeper into the Paschal mystery of Christ. So these mystical movements is really a nice way to, to summarize what's supposed to happen at the liturgy. Right, and if you know what's on their mind at the time, they're all about, they want the people in the pews to give themselves to the Lord, surrender themselves to the Lord, offer themselves as victims. Um, you know, if you have a certain kind of instrument, say like a banjo, it's pretty hard to have a mourn, mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, like a sad, how do you make a banjo sound sad? You know, it's kind of, it's kind of one, yeah, it's got one little, one major quality. Where Not a minor quality. Well, it has that too, but. Um, Nailed it! <laughs> Can we turn off this mic? Do you know which switch controls this mic, Chris? I control all. But what John the 23rd says, that all the depths of the soul, all the movements, um, virtue, admiration for virtue, desire for it, resolutions of penance and purification, like an organ can really sound mournful and and sad or um, um, somber. The admiration of virtue, how, how can an organ sound, you know, with the high-pitched um, notes that sound kind of virtuous and bright? Uh, longing for intimate union with God. There's something about an organ with all of its different ranks of pipes that have different sounds. Pledge to struggle against evil, foretaste of the happiness of heaven. And then what happens is, he says, the soul opens wide to the mystical influences of grace. So here's your ex opere operantis again, right? These external things that change your disposition. That organ has this particularly good way to do it. It works on all these potential different levels. Majesty, grandeur, quiet, easy, angels, saints, human desire, sadness, triumphant, all those kinds of things are possible in an organ that's not really possible in a kazoo, you know, or a harmonica, <laughs> or, or, a piano. Harmonica, or even a piano. Yeah. Right, mm. piano has a I've lot never of been to a too. kazoo mass, and I'm glad about that. Well, there's probably a reason, because it only does one thing, which is kind of like fun and silly, right? And that's not really liturgical. And so, you know, what he says is that... Um, on the eve of the council, which each one of these things, he says why well, it's providential that it's on the eve of the council. What do the bishops at the council need to do? They need to give over all of these desires. How is the church going to be renewed? Their desire for renewal, peace, sadness, repentance, purification, longing, all of that. And uh, so he says, this is providence in this coincidence that the new organ is there to make all these things possible. And right after that, he says the organ is a symbol of renewal, which is kind of weird. How can an organ? It's not a symbol. It's an. It's like more like a piano. Oh, sorry. Wow, wow, wow. No, S Y M B O L. Sorry, sorry. Um, he says because this organ is now like built up and it's stronger and it has more options. It's um, it's the same kind of idea of the renewal that the church is going to have. He says it's the renewal of Christian life ex- expected from the ecumenical sessions beginning from this temple. So Saint Peter's, you know, is the head church of the head of all the churches, just like the Pope is sort of the head of the body of bishops. And so it's happening there. It's making possible all these movements and desires for renewal. And so um, he says it's a symbol of the life-giving breath. You can interpret this probably. The life-giving breath of the Spirit of the Lord that fills the world. How so? Well, certainly uh, the calling down of the Spirit. And they, they would pray this um, 
Oh, what's that? There's a prayer they prayed at the opening of uh, each session of the council that would call down the Spirit on their invocations. I guess the word I was thinking of is it is it aggiornamento? What does that mean? That's the new new day, the giorno, right? But isn't it like a new breath of life, breathing new life into? You guys are looking at me. Into, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> yeah, those are fresh I mean, air. Yeah, so I see kind of a parallel thing with the blessing of this new uh, new pipe organ with what the council itself was trying to do is kind of breathe new life of the spirit into the church and through the church into the world. And what is the organ going to do literally? Blow air through all these pipes right. and then that sound is going to reverberate through the church into our ears, into the, our bones, feel that vibration. There's some grandeur and majesty that we actually will encounter in a, you know, I don't know if you call it sacramental way, but in the broad sense, the small s sacrament. He says it's the solemnity of this historical event will be made more knowable. If you hear the building shake with an organ, you whoa, what's something it's important? It's kind of like that going on. explosion you were talking about. David Fagerberg said that. that the, it's an explosion going out through the, the doors of the church yeah, and into the streets. He talks about these sacramental outbursts that take place in the sanctuary, detonate an explosion that just kind of blows the doors right. off the back of the church. Right. Even there's a line in the Exultet that's sung at the Easter Vigil, too. It made this building shake with joy. Whoa. And so it just like, that's the, awesome. That I is. love that. Well, when uh, when Christ enters into Jerusalem before his passion, there's this. Uh, the city was shaking with all of the shouts and things as well. So there's mm. a lot of mm. shaking building. And the earth trembles, the earth quakes. That's a sign of God's presence. So, you know, he's saying Vatican II is about to happen. What do we want? We want people who know this is important. So they're moved to see the importance of the event. So he says they'll feel the solemnity of the event. Uh, it'll help them hear the rustle of new life that was spreading through the church and it'll cause more fervent prayers so if you feel, if you know this is important and there's a lot hanging on this you're going to pray more fervently and so he's asked he says the organ is going to actually help bring about a new pentecost because people mm-hmm. are going to pray more fervently for the holy spirit to come down and transform um, the church and then that's this is one of the contributing factors to the success of the council i guess is how the organ works how it invokes and manifests the spirit through the pipe organ versus the banjo mm-hmm. or the kazoo or the, or the kazoo <laughs> this is fascinating I, I i mean i knew that the organ was kind of an important instrument especially since our you know our last uh, podcast that we talked about music and things like that and it's very demonstrative of like you say the human voice um but i, I really like what you're saying about or not what you <laughs> what you're what pope uh, john the 23rd is saying about like it's versatile it can do all of these things and uh, why limit why limit the ability to do all those things and the organ's right. a good example of it and in a time when people seem to think liturgy is not that important or they don't take it very seriously you know just a little twanging guitars up there you know maybe it was relevant in the folk movements of the 70s or the 60s but now you there's kind of this desire like if this is serious business why doesn't our music sound serious like mm-hmm. why isn't why isn't it shaking us so that we say Lord, we need you. Let, let us pray more fervently. So for the, whether it's for the council and its implications of the whole church or your family, or your life, your parish, the music should not scare you to death, mm-hmm. you know, like Bach's Toccata and Fugue, but to, um, to let you to know you. liturgy is important yeah. and to inspire prayer in you. So it's not so much one instrument better, other instrument bad. It's like everything else liturgically. Does it do what the liturgy demands better than something else? And then if it does, mm-hmm. then you say yes. And part of the reason it does that is the next one, number four, is that it gives a image of the proper ordered harmony of the well-governed city. What? The well, proper and well-governed harmony of the well-ordered hmm. city. Didn't we do one on the... On oh, the, yeah, we did a podcast on the on city. On the city, city yeah. planning. We built this city. 
What city uh, do you think he's like talking worst, about? That's the worst song ever. <laughs> Cleveland. Oh, yeah, if you built the city on rock and roll, it's probably oh. a problem. Yeah. So you should build your city uh, with... On uh, sand. Oh, sorry. No, no. no, no with no, a pipe no, organ no. at the center. <laughs> well, what city is he talking about primarily? The, the heavenly, heavenly Jerusalem. Yeah. Right. The heavenly Jerusalem is the heavenly city, and the church is an image of that or participation in that. So if a city is well-governed, there's no crime. Uh, there's no decay. Nobody's starving. Nobody's sick. It's the the proper notion of that. But how could an organ be that? How can an organ? I read the article, so oh. I know the answer. So Jesse, I wrote the article. Pressure, so I, oh, I mean, pressure on you. <laughs> no, what if I you? Don't. What if your keys on your organ console are misconnected to the pipes, and you play one thing and something else comes up? Yeah, you, it would be bad. It would be uh, chaotic. It would. Instead of symphonic, mm-hmm. so the sounds coming, the phone, the sounds yeah. coming together, they're discordant. Be a cacophony. Cacophonic. Yeah. Ooh. Cacophony. The right, exactly. So, cacophonic. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> You're just doing that for Katie Thornton. Of course. You? Oh, sorry. sorry, Mrs. Thornton. I've been She's not listening anymore. <laughs> she stopped after episode five. Mrs. Thornton is Kevin's wife, by the way, and you know famous Kevin. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, if the organ pipes were all out of tune or if the keys didn't play the right thing and you just heard this crashing discordant sound, you would say, that's not a well-ordered city. You know, well, a body that's not well-ordered is sick. Every time you have a cold or your muscles ache or something, something's wrong with you. So he calls the organ an image of the church herself, a living symphony, the image of the heavenly Jerusalem, and an echo of the divine harmony. So... Everything in the divine order before the fall had a proper relationship that's consonantia, proportionality. And there's a divine version of that that's perfect. And our job is to figure that out, reproduce it, and sort of project it out to the world. So he's saying the organ does this. But then interestingly, he takes it even a little step further. Stay with us here, Jesse. He comes a little bit further. Right. And he goes multicultural before there was multiculturalism. And this is the Ooh, fifth one? Like this is the same one. Okay. This is a hipster multi- multiculturalism? Well, what's kind of new about the Vatican, Second Vatican Council compared to many of the other church councils at this time? The, the right itself. Well, even before that, who's, go, who's there? Uh, Italians, the Germans, the Europeans, oh, Poles, all, who of else? The, all of the bishops from all over the world. Yeah. So this, now you've got bishops in Africa that you didn't have in 1580 mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep. And yeah. they're coming, and they're coming from Asia and India and all over the place. And, and like First Vatican Council, they were like, 600 bishops I could be wrong on that but at this council there were more than 2,000 bishops there what? so there really was a huge representation from right. around the world from all over the place and so he says uh, this organ would remind people that they're members of a single family it's just like there's many pipes that make one kind of beautiful song that the the African melody would contribute like a certain kind of pipe and the European ones would he says it's a, a living expression of this active principle of the unity of the church so on the one hand, you can talk about the multiplicity of an organ, lots of pipes, lots of d- different sounds. And on the other hand, you can say it gathers them all into one voice. And he says that's what they do, that they uh, lift up the spirit of all the faithful and call upon him into one voice. And that's kind of what the, what the organ does. Wow. I mean, I had no idea. I didn't either. That's what this is. This thing is just a couple of pages long. It's in a book called The New Liturgy by uh, Kevin Seasaltz. It's published in, is the, it, in the 60s. Is it available online? Or? I, I mean, don't think we'll so, but you can go to the article on Adoramus Bulletins. Yeah, we'll link to that. July. Uh, yeah. Coming in. July co- Bulletin. The July one. July 2017. Okay, so there's one last one. One last one. that it called, It's very similar to the previous one. A foretaste of the heavenly liturgy. Foretaste of the heavenly liturgy. So, um, and it's not just, oh, up there, there's a bunch of angels playing harps, and it sort of sounds like this. St. Cecilia playing the organ. Her little organ, right, which didn't really probably exist in her time. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a lot of stained glass windows with that, though, aren't Kind of like a skewer morph, if you ask me. 
Anyway. A what? Hey, I can say smart things too. Keep going. A skillomorph? Skewomorph. What is that? Don't tell us. Go. All right. Somebody look it up. Ask- it's Ask- actually, okay. Actually, what is it? I actually kind of misused it, but that's fine. It still, <laughs> it still plays. Don't worry. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, he says the, the organ, as it blends the voices of all into its melodies, so the people, as well as all these different pipes, will invite the Christian faithful to form a harmonious chorus with their bishops and with the priests. So it's not just the bishops there, but all the priests and then all the people around the world to, uh, to pray for this. So he says, even though the church is still pilgrim church on earth, it's, she's united, what he says, to the never-ending procession of the blessed in heaven who sing their hymns in praise of the spotless lamb. So we're on earth, they're in heaven, some are bishops, some are priests, some are regular old folks, but nonetheless, that is um, brought into unity, heaven and earth, in the, the pipe organ and how we use it. So it's a pretty developed theology of the pipe organ that I think we've forgotten. And um, just saying, well, we're going to substitute the most relevant thing of the day. Well, before you do that, you have to say, is that better than the tradition that we've had? Well, this is fantastic. This, I, when you told me you were going to talk about an organ for a while, I was like, all right, this will probably be like a few minutes. Uh, but this is great. And, yeah, uh, and like we John said, 23rd, smart. And we said, we'll, li- we'll link to the full article on, um, on the show notes, but uh, really fascinating stuff. I, like I said, I think the cool thing is it kind of goes beyond what we would think of just a normal instrument. It means so much more. Right. And if you're going to see the lens of music through this notion that what sacramentally or what liturgically a thing ought to do, elevate the soul, lead you to God, move you to prayer, bring about unity of mankind with her, their priests and their bishops and the Pope and direct it all to God across the whole nations of the globe, that's the basic Christian mission. Make disciples of all nations and bring the divided into the one and lead them to God. And the organ helps that in a very particular and good way. And uh, maybe on another podcast, we'll talk about what an organ should look like, right, Dennis? Where it should be. And where it should be. But uh, all right, let's take a liturgy question. Chris? All right. I, I always just need your approval. Yeah, okay, all right. Okay. Desperate. You're my father figure. <laughs> <laughs> so why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? All right, this week we have a question from Anonymous. Uh, What was our... Kundagunda? Kundagunda. Kundagunda. Yeah. I'm assuming this one's a female because we always do Rudiger, so. Yeah. Kundagunda. Kundagunda is a great saint. That's the, where the yeah. Kinga comes from. Oh, Queen right. of Poland. Yeah. So Kundagunda. There is a St. Kundagunda church in Wisconsin. Guys, can we give her the <laughs> microphone here? Thank <laughs> All you. All right. Kundagunda, what's your All question? Right. Kundagunda says, there are two rites now, and Pope Benedict always talked about a mutual enrichment. Do you ever foresee there being one rite where they were both mutually enriched. Well, first, first let's correct her terminology, Kunigunda. Yes. There's one right. There's one right. It's called the Roman right, but there's two okay. forms of it. 
So, two expressions of one right. So the two extraordinary forms of, form and the ordinary, ordinary form. Yeah, there's only one right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And the question is, will they ever become one? And it seems like that would be the logical implication. If two streams are going to merge and, and build each other up, would it become one stream somewhere downstream a little bit? Um, will it happen in five years? Probably not. Ten years? Probably not. A hundred years? Maybe. Is that? But do you think, is that the mind of... Uh, Pope Benedict, that uh, eventually there would just be one, or will there still be these two uh, two missiles? Well, he's never said the time will come when there'll be one, but I think the notion, if I were trying to read Pope Benedict's mind, which I can't, it seems to me that he, he thought there was some great stuff in the extraordinary form with some serious limitations. What Vatican II was trying to do was keep all the great stuff and ameliorate the, the limitations. Instead, the limitations seem to have gotten even greater in some ways, whether it's not in the missile itself, but in the way people interpreted the, the rights. And we've got to somehow make what was good in this one come to that one and what the flaws in each get removed. What that means eventually, as I see it, is one full revised right. So it wouldn't mean one missile as it exists now or one missile as it exists now, but what would the fully revised, fully understood benefits of both missile look like yeah and again we don't know the answer to this we don't know if the church knows the answer to this we're just trying to interpret what you know pope benedict and now when i hear cardinal sarah sarah talk he'll talk about the two missiles reconciled um uh, or be, being reconciled uh completely uh in their form and and one almost gets the sense that again we're, we're trying to read what uh, trying to understand what it is that he's that he's saying is that maybe he thinks that too that these two things will be eventually entirely reconciled right when you and study it, enculturation yeah. when two cultures meet it's called acculturation acc acculturation oh. and it's the process of two cultures meeting each other so the spanish meet the aztecs you don't get spanish aztecs or aztec spaniards you get Aztecs or Spanish. Oh, <laughs> Spanish. You get a Spanish Aztec Sorry hybrid, and they're, and they're both changed. And Spastic. until what they have at the end is a kind of new synthesis of two things that theoretically should bring the best of both of those together. So that takes a long time. It's hard to be a prophet in this sense and predict, predict it, but it seems like it would be a logical outcome of this. Yeah. All right, Kunigunda, thank you for your question. And if you want to ask a, ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.